0: Howdy! You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy! Howdy! Howdy. Woo! I'm, I'm not here tonight. Um, hey, I just want to say real quick, y'all did a great job. You know, you can't spell Halloween without all. You can't spell without we. And I feel like we all did a great job tonight. <laughs> Good You can't spell Halloween without new. You can't spell without low. I feel like some of us hit that though today too. As well. well, that's all right. Y'all. Great job. Uh, I want to introduce our uh, our guest speaker tonight. So this is uh, Pastor Richard Harris. He's making his way up. Y'all give him a, a hand. <laughs> to Pastor of Christ, Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas. And you know, one of the great things, some of you may know some of you uh, may not, one of the great things about RUF is our connection to the local <laughs> church. That we're not just kind of out here doing whatever, that we're actually connected to the body of Christ in Houston, in Austin, to Dallas, all over. Um, and Christ CBC is one of those churches that has been very supportive of this ministry, and so
1: thank you so much Good for man. everything You're y'all welcome. do uh, to support us, and uh, so y'all give Richard your attention as he brings God's Word to us. Thanks. Thanks, man. Well, howdy. Hi. Hi. To so it is uh, It is a joy to, to be here with you, and honor to get to uh, to preach God's God's Word to you, and so let you know. A few folks here are, um, I'm actually their pastor back in Houston, and, um, and so they'll, they won't believe it that I'm actually going to preach on all of those verses. They won't believe that's possible if you guys can get out before midnight, but, but we're going to do that, okay? We're going to do that, and uh, so William, William gave me a, a strict time limit. He said I had at least, he said I had no more than an hour and a half. He said that's, that's the normal thing, right? Yes. An hour and a half, all right, very good. Well let's let, let's jump in. Let me read let me read God's word and then uh, and I'll pray for us. And so here now God's holy inspired and errant, authoritative, sufficient, life-giving word. Begin reading in Genesis chapter eight, verse twenty. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and for man. From his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us hearts that are tender and are ready to receive your word. May you teach us in. Rebuke us and correct us and train us in all righteousness that we may become complete equipped for every good work. Lord, please write these truths upon our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that's a long passage, and uh, we're going to outline this text with four key words, and I'll, I'll highlight each of these four key words as we, as we come to them while we work our way through Uh, This And so I I want to start with just the first two words. The opening phrase of chapter 8, verse 20, then Noah. Then Noah. And if you guys have been part of this Genesis series, you know that that the context is that, um, that whatever comes next is going to be the first thing that Noah does whenever he leaves the ark. Right? Then Noah. That's going to be the first thing he does when he leaves the ark for the first time in over a year. Okay, so think about that. Try to imagine if you can, okay, being being shut up in in an ark just with your family and uh, with these animals uh, for over a year. I don't know if you can think about that, if you can really wrap your mind around it. I I think that if you're like me, then we probably thought that just a few weeks of uh, quarantine uh, with COVID uh, were bad enough. But if you were shut up in the ark for over a year, what would be the first thing that you did whenever you got out? Now think about that. This is very significant because Noah wasn't just stepping out of the ark. He was stepping out of the ark after a year, and he's stepping out of the ark into a completely new world. Everything had been destroyed. Everything had been wiped out. So think about everything that needed to be done. Like everything. I mean you need to build, you need to build houses. And prepare fields. Find food. However, what does Noah do first? What does Noah prioritize? So that, that first key word is the word altar. Altar. Now you may think altar. Okay, well that's a very religious word, a very churchy word. It's a very Bible word. And and if you've been in this series through Genesis, you've you've already heard about sacrifices and offerings being made. But this is the very first time the word altar appears in the Bible. And so, look look at verse 20 again. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So as soon as Noah steps out the the ark after being in there for a year, he gets busy building. But he's not building a new house, which would have been important. It's okay to have a house. I have a house. You ought to have a house one day. George, where were you at, George? Don't live in your van. If you said, this van you're looking for. Live in a house, okay? Keep living in the house. Would it be good for him to build a house? But that's not what he does. Instead, Noah prioritizes what is best over what is good. And Noah prioritizes worship. So look look at all of verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord... And took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Okay, so once again, try to put yourself in Noah's shoes. On the one hand, he had been mercifully spared from the floodwaters of God's judgment. On the other hand, I mean, he had to have wondered, okay, well, would God, would God do this again? Would God send the, the terrors of the, the flood waters of judgment again? And so as soon as Noah gets off the ark, he builds an altar, and he offers a sacrifice. And then we see in verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice, and that means that the Lord delighted in Noah's worship. And it pleased the Lord to accept Noah's sacrifice of atonement and of thanksgiving. And the Lord makes a promise to Noah, we see in verses 21 and 22. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So this promise is, is God's commitment to sustain life on the earth and, and in the, conti- and, and the continuance of seasons. Although I, you know, I, in Houston, where I live, you know, we, we certainly doubt this promise that there's actually a change in seasons. But we're going to believe that's the case. But, uh, but, but the continuation of seasons and the reliable way that day follows night and the night follows day is supposed to be a testimony to God's faithfulness to us. Now, this doesn't mean that that God abolished disasters or even floods, right? We know that. Many of you live through Harvey. But this promise does mean that God promises to limit and to to localize floods and other disasters. We'll never cover the whole earth again. So that humanity can recover and rebound and, and and extend compassion to one another whenever these disasters and calamities do come. Okay, before I move to that next key word, away from altar, there are two points of application that I I want to make. Okay, here's the first one. Okay, Don't miss the fact that Noah prioritizes worship and that the Lord delights to receive his worship. The the, the people of God are to be a worshiping people. And we're to worship privately during our times of, of personal worship, personal prayer, and personal Bible reading. And we are to worship in our homes, with our families. You know, one day, I I hope you will do this, you'll see, one of the great delights of my life is being able to sit around my table with my bride and with my children, and and we're terrible singers, but but to sing terribly together, to sing hymns terribly together, to open the Bible, to read it, to talk about it briefly, and then to pray, to pray for the, the prayer requests that we have. And so so we're, we're to worship privately, we're to worship in our homes, with our families, but we're, also, we're most certainly to prioritize Lord's Day worship. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with God's people. And so students, I'm, I'm urging you, okay? I, I beg you, I plead with you. Do not prioritize anything, anything over Lord's Day worship on Sunday morning with God's people. <laughs> You know, I know. I I, I seem like I'm a lot older than you guys. I'm not. I'm not that much older. I'm I'm only 41. Seems like I'm only 41. You guys, 41 is incredibly old. But I promise you, decades from now, nothing will pay greater dividends in your walk with Christ than prioritizing Lord's Day worship Sunday after Sunday after Sunday week after week, year after year, decade after decade in a faithful, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. But then the second thing, and I can't move on without saying a little bit more about about this sacrifice and about the need for for blood sacrifice. Noah builds an altar, and he offers a sacrifice. He offers a burnt offering. He offers a blood sacrifice. And Pastor Joel Beakey says, "Blood sacrifice is the only way for sinners to come before God." We saw this with Adam. You guys saw this with Adam back in Genesis three twenty one, when God killed the animals to, to clothe Adam and Eve in the garden. You saw it with Abel in Genesis chapter four, verse four, that Abel brought forth animal sacrifices as his offering to God. And So, why is blood necessary? It was because our sin deserves death. Now, we, I know we may not like to talk about sin, but, but, but I know we understand what sin is. I know we do. I, I know every one of you understand. Every one of my kids understands. Every adult I meet who comes to our church, even if they're, if they're um, considering the claims of Christianity for the very first time, everybody understands sin. Everybody knows that there are things that we, that we do and that we say and that we think and that we desire that don't honor God. That are wrong and that, we're, that we, feel, we feel guilty over, that we feel ashamed of, we want to hide from other people. We know there are things that, that we do that, that hurt the people in our lives that we're supposed to love best. We know there are things that they do that hurt us. And probably the clearest, the clearest uh, evidence for our understanding of sin is 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 just how we're so darn good at pointing it out in other people's lives. I mean, we're very good at that. We all feel like we have that spiritual gift, don't we? We can say, you know what? She should not have done that. They ought to not have done that. That that was wrong. That was unfair. That was immoral. That was that was unjust. So we understand sin, and, and we see a strong statement. About sin here in Genesis 8. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so Joel Behe goes on and says Noah had learned this in a striking way through the flood. God had wiped out the human race because of sin. Noah must have trembled at the judgments of the Lord, recognizing that he too deserved such death for his sin. And so, in thankfulness for the Lord's salvation, he offered up slain animals on the altar he built. Now, I don't know if you are very familiar with the Old Testament part of your Bible, but that that is most of your Bible, so you should get familiar with it. But the whole Old Testament points forward to the coming Savior. The one promised in Genesis 3.15, the the offspring of the woman, the coming Savior, that though his heel would be bruised, he would crush Satan's head, he would defeat Satan's sin and death itself, he would redeem God's elect through the shedding of his own blood. And the entire Old Testament points forward to Jesus. I mean, think about the major events in the Old Testament, one of them is the Passover in the Exodus story, when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. You know, the people of God were instructed to take a male lamb, without spot or blemish, to sacrifice it, and then, and then paint on the doorpost of their home it's, with its blood, and the people were redeemed. They were set free from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the Passover lambs. And then later, the blood of sacrificed animals uh, was continually offered on the altars in the tabernacle and then in the temple. However, that blood was never able, and was never truly intended to cleanse the people from their sin. But the blood of all of those animals ultimately pointed forward to the Savior and the Redeemer who was to come. And that's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9. It says, He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places As this sacrifice, as this ultimate sacrificial lamb. That's why we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus says to himself in Matthew 26, uh, 28, whenever he's instituting the Lord's Supper, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or as John the Apostle says in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, to him, to Christ, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And then Paul writes in Ephesians 1-7, For in Him, in Christ, in Him alone, we have redemption through His blood. And then later in Ephesians 5-2, he says, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right, a fragrant aroma. We read about it in Genesis chapter 8, echoing forward in Ephesians 5.2. See, we're all sinners and we need a Redeemer. Do you know that you need a Redeemer? You see, a Christian is a sinner who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And redemption is found nowhere else. You see, one of the great myths, one of the great lies that, that permeates our culture Especially in the state of Texas. It's this lie, this myth that, that, that God is this cosmic moral accountant. And he's looking down from heaven. And the good deeds, the good things that we do, the nice things that we do, are credits to our account. And the bad things, the sins, the selfish things, the greedy things, are debits from our account. And the lie is that as long as our good outweighs our bad, then we're fine. You know, as long as we're better than average, we're fine. The lie actually says that, okay, we can use this cosmic moral accounting system math, and our good deeds can actually redeem our, us from our sins. That our good deeds can make up for the bad things that we do. <coughs> David Martin Louis Jones once said The cross of Christ is a standing condemnation of every view and every philosophy which says that men and women, by their own efforts, can reconcile themselves to God, or that they can atone for their sin. To all such views, the answer of the cross is that no one can do this. The cross is the proclamation of the insufficiency of mankind, and people dislike it because of that, for they believe in themselves and in their own power. Do you know that you, that I, that we, that we, we are all sinners and need a Redeemer? A Christian is a sinner who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only Savior and Redeemer, and he has suffered the death we deserve in our place on our behalf to make atonement for our sins. That he has paid a debt that he did not owe to redeem us who owed a debt we could not pay. We know the sacrifice and all the Old Testament sacrifices point forward to this truth. Now, the second key word is a word that's not in our text, but it's an important word. It's certainly a theme that we see, and that word is recreation, recreation. See, Noah stepped out of the ark into a new world as a new kind of Adam, a new kind of Adam. I don't like to refer to Noah as a second Adam because the, the New Testament uses that distinction, the second Adam, Jesus, that Jesus is the second Adam who succeeded in obeying God and fulfilling all righteous requirements of the law, where the first Adam failed to obey in the garden. However, it's clear that we are to see Noah as a kind of new Adam. And there are lots of parallels between Adam and Noah. That Adam's uh, new world was formed out of a watery chaos, and so was Noah's new world. And then there's more. We see in Genesis 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so like Adam, Noah is God's image bearer. And like Adam, Noah is given the same command from Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We also see that mankind's relationship to the animals and dominion over the animals is a central point for both Adam and Noah. However, if you notice, Noah's new world is already a world stained and marred by sin. And that impacts this, his, 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 his call to, to have dominion over the creation, over the, over the animals. Look at verses uh, 2 and 3. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and the, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Richard Belcher says, Human dominion over God's creation is reaffirmed, but with the recognition that animals will fear human beings. And this fear is a reflection of the fact that the harmonious relationships between humans and animals have been destroyed by sin, but there's also the fact that God now allows human beings to eat meat for food instead of only plants. Now, we're going to get to the rainbow a little bit later as a sign of God's grace, but being given meat to eat is also a sign of God's grace as well. Amen? Amen. Okay. Our third key word is the word life. Life. Look at verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So we've already talked about the connection between life and blood. We went through our whirlwind tour of the whole Bible's emphasis on redemption through atoning blood sacrifice. The shed blood of Jesus makes atonement for our sins. That his blood shed for your sins. His life in exchange for your life. His life offered as your substitute. That he paid a debt he did not owe to redeem us who owed a debt we could not pay. But the practical implication of Genesis 9-4 is less about how much to, to cook your steak. I recommend medium rare. Uh, but it's less about that. And it's more so that humans are not to be savages. That we're not to eat animals the same way that animals eat each other. That we're not to rip into an animal with the lifeblood still pulsating through it. I know that's gross, ladies, but, but we're not to do that. Then we learn about the the value and the dignity and the sanctity of all human life um, from verse 5 to verse 7. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so here, once again, we're taught, as we were in Genesis 1, that humans are made in the image of God. See, slaying animals for food is not the same as slaying a person. But humans are not animals. Whereas an animal's blood may be shed but not consumed, human blood cannot even be shed. You see, God is very serious about the sanctity of all human life. You know, from, from the womb to the tomb. Regardless of one's health, one's mental faculties, and or frailty in old age. See, God's Word is clear that God values the sanctity of all human life. You know, the Sixth Commandment in Exodus 20 verse 13 is you shall not murder. And that speaks to how God values the sanctity of all human life. The the Heidelberg Catechism question 105 asks, what is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder? And the answer is I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or murder my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I'm not to be party to this and others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. So the Bible teaches us to, to value the sanctity of all life. And before we move on to the, to the next key word, notice, notice in, in, in Genesis 5, 9, verse 5, notice that phrase, his fellow man. His fellow man. Literally, the Hebrew word there is brother. His brother. This is one of the many places where the Bible condemns the, the, the sin and the wickedness of, of racism. That there's only one race, the, the human race. Every man, woman, child must be treated with value, worth, dignity, regardless of their, sin, their skin color, their ethnicity, their country of origin, their education level, their, their perceived usefulness to us. You know Whether we think that they're worth networking with or not, whether we think we can benefit from the friendship with them or not, God's word says that person is an image bearer of God. And they have great value and worth and dignity in God's eyes. And you have great value, worth, and dignity in God's eyes. Regardless of whether or not you're making the grades you want to make. Regardless of whether or not you're getting the internships that you want to get. Or are you going to reach all of your career goals or not? And that's how the people of God must see each other, how we must see everyone else. And I can't help but say this too: that we, friends, we don't need any secular theories or philosophies to help us out with this. You know, those secular theories offer no solutions or no wisdom for the people of God. But God's word tells us that racism is evil, it's wicked, and it must be taught, not, must not be tolerated by God's people or in God's church. And we know that because of what God's Word says. Not because of what the world says. So let's not let the unbelieving world lead us. Let's know and let's proclaim and let's follow God's Word. Not any secular theories. But here's the fourth word. And it's the word covenant. And the word covenant will appear seven times from verse 9 to verse 17. And the truth is, there's way too much to say about covenant and at the end of a a sermon I see Davy laughing. He knows there's a lot more I want to say. Let me give you a definition of covenant that's helpful I think. A covenant is a binding contract between God and man. One that God has initiated and administered. So a covenant is a binding contract between God and man. One that God has initiated and administered. There are many covenants throughout the Bible. The most famous are with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Christ. So here in Genesis 9, this is the Noahic covenant. So Noahic is just Noah with the, the ik at the end, the ic. It means with Noah, the Noahic covenant. And here's, here's what it says from verse 8 to verse 11. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. We've already covered this in the verses at the end of Genesis 8, but this is a promise from God that he's going to sustain life on this earth. He's going to limit He's going to localize the destruction of disasters so that humanity can recover and rebound and extend compassion to one another whenever these disasters hit. And notice, this is a common grace covenant. That God makes with all people. With believers and unbelievers. And with all animals. With the birds and livestock and every beast of the field. Now God often gives covenant signs to accompany his covenants. Okay, in Genesis 17, God will give the covenant sign of circumcision to accompany his covenant with Abraham. And that covenant sign was for believing adult men. It's for Abraham and for his infant son Isaac. But then we see, as the history of redemption unfolds, we move into the New Testament, that the covenant sign of circumcision gives way to a better and more inclusive covenant sign, the covenant sign of baptism, which is not just for believing adult men, but also for believing adult women, which is not just for their infant sons, but also for their infant daughters. And these covenant signs are physical symbols which point to a greater spiritual reality. That covenant signs are like billboards, billboards for all to see, And God's covenant with Noah is given the sign of a rainbow as its billboard. And so listen to the rest of the passage from verse 12 to verse 17. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant as between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. Now, biblical scholars have long observed the term bow here in Genesis 9 is normally used of the weapon, like a bow and arrow. Therefore, Genesis 9 may be telling us that God hangs up his bow in the sky to signify the end of the great judgment of the flood and, 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 and as a sign of God's great mercy and grace towards his creation. The old Bible scholar Matthew Henry said, a bow suggests terror, but this bow has neither string nor arrow, and a bow alone will perform little execution. It is a bow, but it is directed upwards, not towards the earth, for the seals of the covenants were intended to comfort, not to terrify. And the, the rainbow reminder reminded us that despite the truth that this sinful world deserves what it deserves as judgment, that God has covenanted that he will give mercy. And the covenant sign of the rainbow is a billboard for us, no doubt. So we see it, we remember. But if you look at Genesis 9, verse 16, it says that God will see it. He says, I will see it. I will remember the everlasting covenant. God says that, that he hangs um, the, the rainbow in the sky for him to see and for him to remember. Now think about that. God, God doesn't forget. He doesn't really need reminders And so this is meant to to comfort us, to to tell us, to convince us, to persuade us that God will never, ever, ever forget his covenant promise. And as wonderful as the rainbow in the heavens is, you know, there's there's something greater in the heavenly places which God always sees. There's something greater in the heavenly places that God always sees. That's ever before him. Which reminds God as if he needed reminding. But there's something greater in the heavenly places which God always sees, which reminds God of the grace and the forgiveness and the love He has for His people. And that something greater is really someone greater. It's the resurrected and risen Lord Jesus Christ who is ascended the God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. And when God the Father looks on Jesus he sees his wounds. He sees the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. And he's reminded that his son purchased and secured salvation and forgiveness for all who trusted him. You see, we, 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 we've covered a lot of territory tonight. William gave me a lot of verses, so we covered a lot of verses. So if, if you've been lost in all that, hear this. Dear Christian, hear this. Your sins have been nailed to Calvary's cross. And you bear them no more. You have been redeemed and washed clean by Jesus' shed blood. As Charles Wesley's old hymn puts it, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its authority. We thank you for its sufficiency, and God, we. Lord, I pray that for those of us who who needed to be to be challenged and perhaps even convicted by your word, that Lord, that you would do that. But I also pray, Father, that your word would be a sweet, a sweet, and tender comfort for those of us who need to be comforted by it thank you for your word please impress these truths upon our hearts we ask in jesus name amen
0: we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the texas a ruf podcast if y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night we would absolutely love to see y'all at all face chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from sabisa at 8 p.m on wednesdays Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.